Heavens. Well, hello, Wayne. It's another Good Heavens episode. How are you today? Hi, Dan. Good Heavens. We're, we're here at it again. We are here at it again. Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking a little bit about today, uh, as you, if you've been listening for the last couple episodes, I've been talking to Alan Hainline about fine-tuning and what it is all about. And uh, you, Wayne, you and Alan agree on most everything uh, you would find in the, in the constants of the universe, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But you come at this from a little different perspective than Alan does, whereas Alan uh, accepts the current cosmological model of the Big Bang, and you, on the other hand... Do not. In other words, the fine-tuning argument does not depend upon uh, the Big Bang, correct? Right. So uh, I don't want to make an assumption of the Big Bang in putting together an argument for fine-tuning. I, I don't. To me, uh, I, I see the Big Bang as contrary to Scripture, and actually, I don't like the science of the Big Bang in various ways. So. But fine-tuning is, is a very valid argument. There, you don't have to make the fine-tuning case depend on the Big Bang, right. really. There's a lot of stuff that, within that, as we'll talk about today, that is not Big Bang dependent. But I think the difference, the fundamental difference, is um, having the idea... Some people believe that, that God was the originator of the Big Bang, Right, but uh, the Big Bang was originally put forward as an atheistic idea. It was really designed; it's supposed to be a, a concept to explain the origin of the universe without God. Without God, and it really still is that. Yeah. So, okay, I I acknowledge that, and I just look at this without that. I just say, okay, there there are things that God did in creating the atom and how He created the fundamental forces. There's an order that he created, and this is designed so that we can have a stable, safe existence. Right. We, we take for granted all sorts of things that wouldn't work if if the universe were different, if atoms were different. Right. So, But it, it's important to point out, I think, because a lot of times when you see this discussion about Big Bang, not Big Bang, um, creationism, intelligent design, these, these, these aspects, that sometimes Christians are marred down in fighting one another over this particular concept. But uh, you know Alan. You, you and Alan have talked right. and have met, and you're not at war with Alan over this particular issue. Christians can uh, can disagree about this without hating each other. No, I'm sure there's a lot of things on fine-tuning that Alan and I would agree on, but mm -hmm. I just don't want to bring the Big Bang into it. Yeah, so we're not, uh, we want to dispel the idea that, that Christians have to be uniformly accepting one theory, scientific theory, over another. Because it's science, and science is constantly changing. Uh, our faith, our God, does not. And so it's important to focus on what we can agree upon mm -hmm. rather than those things that we don't. So today we're going to focus on things that, uh, with or without the Big Bang, these things are pretty much legitimately accepted across the field in the scientific community, correct, Wayne? You're, right. You're going to give us four examples of fine-tuning that uh, Christians, non-Christians can agree upon. But before we get into that, I wanted to read a, a scripture because we're going to be talking about laws, right? You often hear in the, the universe that it, it, is, it is the laws that uh, comprise the wonderful mathematical structure of law that uh, gives us the universe. And for secular scientists, 
they explain these laws in terms of the possibility of an ultimate law. But for those who believe in God, that all laws, whether there's a single ultimate law or a bunch of little laws, ultimately that comes from the mind of our creator, uh, the Christ, the God in Christ, creating the universe, creating these laws. Um, in Job, in the book of Job, after Job has suffered uh, uh, a great deal, um, remember in the beginning when Job is, uh, opens his mouth, he's lamenting his sorrows. He actually ends up cursing the light of the dawn and the light of the stars. And so one of the first things that God says to him after God appears to him is the question, Job, do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, that's where I think we, that for me, uh, all the mathematical laws that, that are known come from the mind of God. Right. And then the, so the Bible does speak of, uh, the laws of the heavens, uh, which what we would call physical laws, and but it it doesn't mean like the universe kind of runs itself like a machine. Yeah, it means laws that God set up, and and the order is dependent on God. Right. So it, these are laws that depend on God sustaining things. Yeah, I'm I'm I I tend to think that it, God because in with uh, Isaac Newton, who gave us the idea of a mechanical universe that I think it really began with Newton, maybe maybe a little bit before with Kepler. Uh, but, but Kepler was a Christian. Um, Newton, I think, was too. But, um, but Newton really gave us the idea that God set it all up and let it run by itself. I think that was more the concept that the way t- people took Newton's work not the way Newton not in the way took Newton it himself. Yeah, I don't think he would have said that. But I think people after Newton talked about the clockwork universe. Yeah, like the universe is a big machine. Yeah, Laplace, uh, the French mathematician, yeah. Napoleon's French, French mathematician, Laplace was a a brilliant mathematician. But Napoleon said he was a terrible um, minister of state. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was applying mathematics to everything. Right. Uh, but but the idea is now uh, commonly believed that the laws regulate independently of any sentient oversight. So like in our own in our own world, uh, laws are enforced by human beings, right? A police officer can pull you mm-hmm. over. So there's an active sentient participant who upholds and enforces the law. It's not just by itself, right? So right. I, I think that's what you're saying, that the laws that we have are just, to me, it's, it's wonderful poetry. It's a description it's not a causal agent, right? There's a huge difference there. Being done. Right. Yeah. There, there, uh, there's something we can describe mathematically yes. and, and, and predict what's going to happen and how things are going to work mm-hmm. so we can understand that order. And, Dan, this has to do with how I wrestled with the question of miracles. After I became a Christian, uh-huh. I was uh, a physics major, and for a while after I became a Christian, I had trouble believing in miracles. Yeah. I remember discussing this with my mom, at the, wow. who who had a very simple, a very limited education, but she'd been a Christian for many years. And she had this calm assurance about believing in miracles that I had trouble with. But anyway, I eventually came around. But the way I think of this is this. If you're at a traffic light, Dan, and there's a policeman there directing traffic, mm-hmm. and the if the, if the light is red... But the policeman tells you to go. 
which do you do? You better obey the police, <laughs> right? Right. Because yeah. the policeman um, is the living supersedes the mechanic, the law of the traffic light. Right. Exactly. The policeman doesn't uh, undo the law; he no. supersedes it. He comes in and takes. This is place. like God doing miracles to me. Okay, that's a great explanation. Yeah, God can supersede the laws that He set up for to be the normal. Yeah, he's operation. not breaking them. In other words, he's just taking over and becoming the law. Yeah, itself. he's not undoing the no. order he made. There's just a deeper law there yeah. that enables him to do what he does. Right. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Thank you and for so that. So this brings us back to fine-tuning. We're talking about mathematical laws like the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Well, this in, in fine-tuning, you're talking about things like atomic constants, the fundamental forces that make up matter and that govern the universe. These are... These are uh, constants and, and f- the form of mathematical equations that f- physicists work with. Yeah. And, and if you take a physics class, you may deal with some of this. So you're going to give us uh, four examples of some of the fine-tuning things. Right. So, so one of them, uh, I would say, is about the relative strengths of the four fundamental forces. Okay, just for a grammar review, what are the four fundamental forces? There's the strong nuclear force. It basically holds the nucleus of the atom together. The protons and neutrons are bound together by the strong nuclear force. That's right. Okay. And there's the weak nuclear force, which has to do with radioactivity and uh, probably nuclear reactions. So then there's the electromagnetic force, which is everything about electricity and magnetism, electric charges. And that's the the foundation of light, as uh, James Clerk Maxwell discovered. Well, radiation and magnetism and radio and all sorts of things. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, there's gravity. And then there's gravity, the weakest of the four, and the kind of the odd man out when you get down into the realm of the very small and you start studying atoms, protons, neutrons, and quarks and everything. Uh, gravity doesn't seem to have a, a place there yet. They're still struggling with this, correct? Right, so it's kind of interesting to me that we we can put the we can write the equations and describe the mathematics of how all of this works, mm-hmm. and uh, to to explain it all requires a huge book. If you take a a, a the, just electromagnetism, mm-hmm. that's comes from Maxwell's four equations about electricity and magnetism, uh-huh. four equations that elegantly describe. A vast array of electrical and magnetic phenomena. And it's said that uh, Maxwell's equations can fit on a T-shirt. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, I know this from experience. (laughs) I've seen it, yes. Uh, Just a quick aside about that. Um, My atheist friend, Zach, uh, was at uh, MIT Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months ago, and he thought of me, and he got me a T-shirt with Maxwell's equations on them. Oh, I would love to have one. Oh, yeah. and uh, so he, he, we were at, uh, we were at this event that you attended the uh, the astrophysics and fantasy event uh, back in March, and Zach uh, came up to me in the auditorium and he says, "Hey, Dan, I got something for you." And he unfurls the Maxwell's equations shirt and it says, "In the beginning, God said, let there be.'" 
and then it has ellipses, yes. and then it has the equations, and I, there was light. I've yeah. seen this. Yeah. I wish I had one. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, what's really funny about this is that I unfurled it, and standing right in front of me was Dr. Anton Kokomor of the Hubble Space Telescope, the gentleman who was responsible for imaging the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Right. And so Anton so, so sees the shirts, and he's like, oh, Maxwell's equations. Uh, yeah. And he starts explaining to me yeah. what the equations were. <laughs> and I said, how cool is that? I'm getting a lesson from a Hubble astrophysicist about Maxwell's equations. That's great. Right. <laughs> That's really cool. So, uh, so anyway, those are the four fundamental forces, and they have to be um, – they have to be extraordinarily balanced in order for us to you know, walk around on the earth, to have atoms and molecules in our body, to have chemistry. Uh, they yeah, are- so they, they make the atoms stable. They make the properties of the electron. When the properties of the electron determines a lot about chemistry. Right. Chemistry gives us all the medical technology in so many ways. Yeah. And... Uh, Electrical things like electricity and, and everything about engines light. and, and light all itself. Sorts. Most of the things that we experience, the things that when we touch something, Dan, like I touch this desk, my finger is not really touching it. You're feeling a it's, force. It's two two planes of electrons coming close to each other. And so it's a, you're, the solidity of the table is actually the force of electrons. Yes. They're electrons repelling each other. That's so cool. Uh, I'm not really touching it. Yeah. They're, they're, just com- they're just fuzzy things that come close to each other is all it is. And you're just feeling a force. That's right. Yeah. That's fascinating. That is absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I was just digging into this. This is another aside here. I was just digging into this the other day, t- trying to teach myself about the masses. And we don't have to get into this too much, but I was fascinated by the proton and neutron and electron having a very specific mass. And yes. they measure mass by these things called mega electron volts. But anyway, the, the mass of the electron is whimsically much, 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 much smaller than the proton and the neutron. And the fascinating thing for me is the numbers are there. We can weigh these things. We can put the calculations out there and we can see that the electron's mass is 0.0511 mega electron volts. And nobody really knows why that is, but if it was any smaller or, or, if it's any smaller or greater, we would not have, as you said, the stability of the atom and thus no chemistry, no life, nothing. Right. It's kind of like the, the electron is like a speck of dust compared to a bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and if it were different, that would affect chemistry. It would affect the stability of the atom and all sorts of things. Because the electron is kind of like the, uh, the Lego piece that enables atoms to bind to one another. Right. Yeah, so you have to have that guy being very, very specific. So that's just one, one cool thing. Now, Wayne, you had something else in relation to the atom, the Planck's constant, correct? Yes, Planck, Planck's Planck. constant is a very important thing. You've heard of photons, Dan. Photons are, photon are packets of light. Packet or a particle of light, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, the energy in a photon is calculated with Planck's constant times the frequency of the light. So when electrons uh, in the atom, if they absorb energy from light, the electrons will jump up an energy level. If they lose energy... Then, then they jump down and give off light. So this, the Planck's constant has to do with how much energy is involved with these changes. Okay, so the electron, just, to, just another simple analogy, the electron orbits the, the nucleus, I say orbits with scare quotes, 
orbits the nucleus of the proton. It goes around the proton and the neutron. Right. Now, electrons can orbit at different levels. There's low level, there's level one, level right. two, level three, right. level four. They, the more complicated the atom, the more complicated uh, the electron levels are. But it, at the lowest level, it requires the input of a photon. Some uh, uh, One physicist I was reading says that the electron eats the photon yeah. and jumps up <laughs> right. to the next level. He's yeah. full of energy now. He has yeah. photon energy, but he right. requires that input from a photon. Uh-huh. But what kind of energy that he needs, this is where Planck's constant comes in, is that it's not just any photon he's going to eat. He's not, looking for, he's not looking for any hamburger. He's looking for a hamburger with cheese and bacon and ranch dressing and, and something very specific because yes. he needs the difference between those energy levels, energy level one and energy level two, that's the exact amount of energy that is required for that electron to jump. So he looks for a photon. I say looks. He looks for a photon that has that exact amount of energy. That's right. And that's the really spooky, weird thing about the quantum physics is how does the electron know that's the photon he needs to eat? Right. And see, in different atoms in chemistry, the energy differences between their electrons has to match up. Has to be perfect. And so, that, that's really freaky if you're just a naturalist. How do you Planck, explain So that? if Planck's constant were a lot more or a lot less, it would mess up all sorts of things about our existence. Atoms wouldn't be as stable. Elect- the chemical, chemical reactions wouldn't work. There would be optical effects that might not make sense. It, it would dis- disrupt things for us a lot. I wanted to read a quote. Um, this is a great book. I didn't show it to you. It's called the Max Planck. It's three complete works. It's an old book. C.S. Lewis said we always should read old books. Yeah. Uh, this was these were written some essays written by Max Planck himself called the New Science, and in the introduction that was written the introduction of this book was written by Albert Einstein. Oh really? And Einstein says this about physics in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what we're talking about. He says in every important advance, the physicist finds that the fundamental laws are simplified. More and more as experimental research advances, the physicist is astonished to notice how sublime order emerges from what appeared to be chaos. Yes. So he's basically saying as, as physics gets deeper and deeper into what it uncovers, the more and more the physicist is amazed at the order that exists at the levels of the very small. Right. So uh, the small scale of the atom determines a lot about our experience. Yeah. If 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 it were not the way it is, it would ruin it life for us. It would probably destroy us. So getting back to Max Max Planck's constant for a minute. Uh remember our little uh let's not leave our little uh electron dangling at the second level because electrons don't like to be at an excited state of energy. Yeah. They like to drop down right. to the lowest state of energy. Mm-hmm. And when they do this though, a unique thing takes place. When the electron drops down to a, a lower level, what does it do, Wayne? It gives off light. It gives off light. So anytime you see light, electrons are leaping That's right. in cascades, maybe more like Niagara Falls. Electrons yeah, are right. falling down mm-hmm. to the lower levels after they've absorbed a proton. So, right. so mm-hmm. when, you see, uh, when you see light... Just, just. I mean, I don't know how many bajillions of electrons are making the leap, but it's like a giant bungee jump of electrons. Yeah, lots of <laughs> electrons are jumping around. Right, yeah, right. So uh, then there's the elementary charge, Dan. The elementary charge. This was one I was uh, unfamiliar with or not too so familiar with. We, so we know that electrons are negatively charged. Right. Well, the elementary charge is how charged. 
Okay. That one electron. Can you explain it just briefly? Explain the difference between positive and negative charges when in the in the atom. What is that? So the electron is negative, the proton is positive, and they attract two electrons that are negatively charged. They will repel repel each, each other. other. Okay, got strongly. It. Okay. So elementary charge affects a lot of things in chemistry also. So here's a real practical example of how the elementary charge affects us in our neurons. In our, in our nerves, in our bodies, there's a process called the sodium-potassium pump. And so it has to pump charge in and out of the membrane on the either side of the neuron. This is how electrical signals travel along the neuron, is they, they pump electric charge. Wow. So if the elementary charge were too much more, our nerves wouldn't work. That's amazing. We would be in a, a bad way. So we have to have a balance of gravity so we can walk around. Right. We have to have a balance of the, the mass uh, of, the, of the neutron, proton, and electron. The fundamental forces have to be all lined up real perfectly. And we have to have this fundamental charge so that potassium and sodium can go into our bodies. Right. That is incredible. So, Wayne, what can we deduce from these examples of fine-tuning how, how so, do they how do they point to god so the elementary charge and Planck's constant they are constants in mathematical equations that physicists use and but they raise the the issue really of where did these laws come from so not only it's not just about the constants and how much these forces are dan but where did these laws come from and and we can do the mathematics well enough to Put this to work. You know, if it weren't for our understanding of the atom, we couldn't make things like lasers and all sorts of medical devices that would help people. We couldn't create and and electronics devices or this microphone that we got here. Yeah, and your your laptop. We couldn't do all of those things if we couldn't figure out all the science of this. Right. And so we are made so that we have this. We have this desire to understand the the world, mm-hmm. and God made the world so that we can understand it. Yeah, it was in, in what would theologians would call the, the the physical world. All of this stuff that we've been talking about, the physical world, is what theologians would call general revelation. Mm-hmm. That we can learn something about God's invisible attributes, as it says in the Book of Romans. That God's invisible attributes, His wisdom, His creative power, His intelligence, His all of that, can be seen. In what he has made. That's right. what the scripture and says. So, Dan, I think of the fine-tuning argument as really related to the the laws themselves. Mm. In other words... That's the big wonder for you, is is the law itself, just the, the intelligibility. Yes, and these, these physical laws, like we were talking about Maxwell's equations, this is information... Yeah. Built into the universe. Built into being. And scientists have no explanation for where this information came from. Yeah. That is built into the universe and how it works. Yeah, science assumes the, it, the right? the constants are just part of the problem. Right. So the constants, like the, the elementary charge, is related to the mathematics of the, the physical law. So you, God had to create both, and God, there has to be an intelligent source for this right. to make the order that we depend on. And it's almost like when I hear skeptics or atheists talk about uh, this aspect of the physical world, uh, a lot of them 
try to go end around, uh, get get around the idea of that the fact that, that there's a creator or a designer. Um, and so they attempt to explain these coincidences, the mathematics, the intelligibility as a kind of fluke, mm-hmm. uh, an accident or a coincidence or however you want to term it. But when you try to take away and denigrate the obvious and apparent intelligence that is built into the physical world, when you try to discredit that, you end up discrediting your own intelligence, I think. Yeah, it tends to devalue us. Right, because I, I could not create a planet. I don't think I could create a, an atom. I'm not even sure where I would start if I had to put <laughs> something well, like that not together. not only that, but... It means, what are we? We're just some sort of smart animal that came along by, by chance? Uh, yes. There's, it's more than that. It's we are, far more than that. We are made in God's image, according to the Bible. and We are made to understand and reach out for God. Yeah, and I think that, that the creation, all the creation, um, the, the heavens and the earth are filled with his glory. We only have to begin to have eyes to see it we just have to learn to see it yeah so we can we can take there's a lot of things in fine-tuning that whether or not you uh, agree with or accept the big bang there are many fundamental constants within fine-tuning itself that uh, demonstrate i think very clearly uh, the how the heavens and the physical world declare the glory of god the intelligibility there is a lawgiver for the laws themselves right okay so wayne you have actually written uh several articles Right. Uh, I do have a website, Dan, that I've had for a number of years. It's called creationanswers.net. And uh, there are various articles I've published that are there, you'll find there. But if you go to creationanswers.net, you can scroll down. There's a f- search box. Just type in fine-tuning, and it'll, it'll bring up this the, the article that oh. relates to this topic. So creationanswers.net. Mm-hmm. And then uh, scroll down. There's a find box, a search uh-huh. box, and type in fine tuning, and you will find uh, your articles. Correct? And there right. are a and series the, of them, right? There's mm-hmm. a series on the Big Bang, but the one that pertains to the fine tuning topic is is called Big Bang Theories and the Christian Worldview. Okay. And uh, if you, we will uh, include that link in our description below the podcast here, okay. so you can click right on it. Uh, or you can just go to creationanswers.net and scroll down and type in fine-tuning. Right, or you can go to, uh, from the from the homepage, you'll see uh, a link for science articles, and then it breaks down by topic like astronomy, biology, and so on. Okay. And you go to astronomy, and you'll see a lot of astronomy. So you've, you've got a lot of other really fascinating articles on there about astronomy and cosmology, yeah. too. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we hope you check out Wayne's site, uh, creationanswers.net. Scroll down to the bottom, type in uh, fine-tuning, and you'll find the article. And then enjoy, surf around, see what other things you might find that Wayne has written. He's got a lot of stuff out there. He's been writing on these subjects for a long time. And uh, one thing we will be talking about soon, hopefully, uh, a couple episodes coming up here in the near future, uh, Pluto maybe. We're talking about doing a broadcast from the McDonnell Douglas Observatory out in West Texas. We might be doing that soon. Uh, we're going to be talking about some fascinating research aspects you've been talking about, uh, right. looking into. So lots of good stuff and good heavens coming up this summer. So we hope you stay tuned uh, for more episodes. Wayne, any closing thoughts or remarks about uh, fine-tuning? How would you like to, uh, to wrap this up? We should appreciate the lawgiver as well as the order and the beauty Yes. There's there's a meaning behind the order and the beauty. Yeah. We can we can reach out and 
uh, we can have a relationship with the Creator because He's made a way for us to know Him. That's amazing. He's created. Yeah, yes. he's, he's created all this, and has come down into our world, as John says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's right. Uh, and He bids us to take His hand as He leads us through the darkness of this world, um, and uh, takes us on to eternity. So fine tuning points us to the Creator. That's right. Thank you, Wayne. Another great episode. And uh, we will talk to you later. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Good heavens. Good heavens. Good heavens.